If you have a Bible, while I'm decluttering, um, turn to Mark chapter, chapter 10. The only other um, fire drills that I've ever experienced, I've never re- experienced like a real-life fire drill where you actually have to run out of a building and it's a fire, but the only ones I've ever experienced are on a building site, and everyone knows it's going to happen 10 minutes before Smoko, before the lunch break, and everyone sort of just meanders out, you know, and then they stand on the footpath and look at the look at their, at their watch and then, and then off they go to Smoko. But I thought if there was actually a fire, <laughs> but, you know, um, it would probably be sprinting for our lives. But, um, but that's okay, that's all right. I've got um, something that I want to share, share this morning and, uh, and I can cut it down a little bit as well. Um, but what I want to talk about this morning really birthed out of our, of our prayer week uh, and prayer night on the Saturday. So we embarked on a week of prayer as a church and on the Saturday night, it was, it was just it was a brilliant night if you were there. And we prayed until midnight, and uh, it just went so quickly. And it was just so great to get into God's presence and just hear from Him afresh. And, and it, I just encourage you, like, if you want to hear from God, then it doesn't take much. It's just a quiet place, get before Him, and just recalibrate uh, your life, recalibrate your values in His presence. Uh, definitely a handout for me that night was a, was a recalibration in a lot of ways. And so what I want to... Sp- about this morning uh, came out of that uh, out of that sort of um, out of that time together and what we one thing that we did pray about as a church was the fact that we've got all these amazing big promises as, as a church promises uh, that seem just ludicrous you know that we're going to be an apostolic resource base for the nations that there's going to be an uh, there's going to be a, an a, um, evangel- uh, evangelical resource you know evangelist sort of resource coming out of this church, that, that we're going to impact Porirua, that many people will be uh, fathered and mothered uh, amongst us. These are great promises, uh, and they're exciting promises too, aren't they? Yeah, you think about them, like, wow, that, that's really, really cool. And, and so we look around and we see God on the move. You know, we're advertising a kids' worker because we've got so many uh, young children amongst us now, uh, to the point where I'm, I'm like cleaning off a poo explosion on the, on the side 10 minutes before I'm supposed to preach, you know, and, and don't stand too close to me because you might get a whiff. Um, but so things are on the move, right? Things are, things are growing and, and it's good. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, uh, the Bible says of the increase of his government, there'll be no end, all right? So <laughs> an increase of his, uh, <laughs> yeah, just behave <laughs> so as a local church we can expect growth can't we we can expect life to to bubble we can expect growth we can we put on an alpha course all right we, we expect people to come to christ because the gospel is is good news from god right we we speak to our friends our neighbors we show them love and kindness we speak to them about jesus we we, just, we expect it it's the kingdom all right in Daniel, it's like the kingdom is a small rock that grows to a big mountain and fills the whole earth. That's, that's what we're part of. And we're a local expression of that kingdom. Uh, but one of the practical things that we need to, we need to deal with as, as we grow uh, is, is, this, is this need for, uh, for leadership and, and for serving. And one of the roles that we were advertising this morning is a, is a leadership role to, to serve the kids. And and at this prayer night on the Saturday, one of the things that we were looking at and praying about is, uh, is the need for leaders. You look in the book of Acts and they have issues, you know, that the widows aren't being fed or whatever. Hey, find us a spiritual person who can help out with the situation. Find me someone who can serve, who can lead, 
and, and, and we'll give it to them. And that's the same for us as a church. Um, as we grow uh, and, and as we see God's promises start to become more fulfilled amongst us. Um, and, but as I was praying, the Lord put on my heart, yeah, leadership is good, but what kind of leadership? You know, what does it mean to be a leader uh, in God's kingdom? Because we can easily pick up the ways of the world and, and transplant them into the church and just cause a whole lot of strife. So, yeah, we need leaders. We, we're growing and we're seeing God's promises come to pass, but, but what kind of leadership uh, does, it, does it look like? So I'm not going to talk about sort of um, leadership specific, you know, specific leadership opportunities, but I want to unpack uh, what we can learn from our big brother, all right, who in John 13 said, I've given you example to follow. All right? We, we want to learn from him because he is our ultimate leader. You know? He's the one who made himself nothing and served and then said, hey, come and follow me. All right? So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at leadership. Um, Mark chapter 10 is where we'll be learning from our big brother this morning. Uh, so if you, Mark chapter 10 from verse 35. Here we go. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him, Teacher, we want you to do us a favour. You can imagine Sir Jess got a bit of a smirk on his face at the moment. Uh, oh yeah, what, what's your request, he asked. Well, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honour next to you, one on, the, one on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I am about to drink? Are you able to be baptised with the baptism of suffering I must be baptised with? Oh yes, we are able, they said. Then Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptised with my baptism of suffering, but I have no right to say who will sit at my right or my left. God has prepared those places for the ones he's chosen. When the ten other disciples heard James and John, what they had asked, they were indignant. So Jesus called them together. You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But... Among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we're, gonna, we're just going to camp out on these last few verses here from, from 43. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everybody else. What I'm going to do this morning is just draw out two lessons that I've been learning, just two quick lessons, things that are really a reflection of my journey at the moment as an individual, but that I think really are, that I've learned from, from the story and from other places. So two, two quick things, and if we've got time, maybe we can get up, have another song, you know, it'll be great. Um, finish off a worship, have some time of prayer and so on. Uh, so two things. The first thing is this whole idea about servant leadership. Who's heard this phrase, this concept of servant leadership before? All right, it's, it's, quite a, it's quite a common word, isn't it? But what I've been learning is that it's possible to embrace the concept of servant leadership without truly grasping just how much Jesus reversed the order of things in his kingdom just how much he turned the whole thing upside down about what it means to be a servant. To illustrate, Roman society 
in which the New Testament, sort of, that was the context of which it was written, was a very layered and ordered society. It was stratified, if that's the word, isn't it? You know, like you've got a very hierarchical structure. So they had the elites, and in that group they had, you know, the senators and the equestrians. I don't, I don't know what the equestrians do. They ride horses, maybe. I don't know, but like, down the, you know, down the chain. And then you have the not-so-elites, the, the non-elites. And they were the free-born, the freed men, and right at the bottom was the slaves. Now what's really challenged my thinking about servant leadership is that leadership is not just a case of being an elite who is humble and caring towards those, towards those lower down in the ranks, so to speak. That's not servant leadership. Servant leadership is to say, if you want to be a leader, you must first become and then remain a servant and a slave of others. And it's that place of servanthood out of which leadership emerged. Emerges. That's how Jesus led. He led by washing feet. You know, he led by you know, not condemning people. He led by just taking on the form of a slave and out of that place he served. So if we want to, be, if we want to exercise leadership, we must first exercise servanthood and slaveship. I think the reason is because to be a slave or to be a servant, you, you exist, you belong to somebody else and you exist for, the, for no, no other reason than to give out of love. And as one commentator says, service or giving is love made tangible. It's, it's the outworking of love. So if I love you guys, if I love you guys here, then I will serve you by practically show, you know, looking after your kids or, or serving you in some sort of way. I will demonstrate that. <laughs> What's that? Done. Done. All right. Wipe the poo off yeah. my side. There's a couple of quotes that I've just been feeding on and found really helpful um, here. A, a lady called Michelle uh, Lee Barnwell says that service is precisely what leads to being great in his community. One must be a servant before one can be a leader. And a great commentary on Mark, this guy, uh, James Edwards says, the preeminent virtue of God's kingdom is not power, not even freedom, but service. Ironically, Greatness belongs to the one who is not great. The slave, the, I don't know how to pronounce that, but the diakonos, the ordinary Greek word for waiting on tables. It's this complete reversal of things, isn't it? To be great in God's kingdom is to be a slave and a servant of others. Not to be top of the food chain, but be humble while you're doing it, but actually to empty yourself and make yourself nothing and then serve others out of that place. That's what Jesus said to James and John. There's a, there's a great example uh, in the Bible of a church getting it completely wrong, which is kind of helpful for us. I heard a guy on a building site say once, look, it's great to learn from your own mistakes. Uh, it's even better if you can learn from someone else's mistakes. You know? There's a guy there who's got a big welt on his thumb. Don't whack your hammer. You know, don't whack your thumb with your hammer. Learn from someone else's mistakes. Um, and there was this church at Corinth. Now, the church at Corinth were influenced by some amazing leaders. Now, think about it. Paul, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Apollos, and Simon Peter were all people who influenced that church. I mean, I think Apollos is the kind of guy today who would have, like, multiple Cambridge degrees, uh, you know, educated at Harvard. He was an extremely intellectual and intelligent man, all right? And, and the Apostle 
Peter, I mean, he walked with Jesus. He walked on water. He was the leader of the 12 apostles. They had these amazing pillars uh, who influenced them. But they, the Corinthians still thought about leadership as status, authority, and hierarchy. They still had that concept, and it needed to change. Because what was happening is there were factions in the church emerging. You know, uh, some I follow, uh, I follow you. Some follow you. I follow you. And because it was a hierarchy, they were sort of positioning themselves under the most seemingly influential person for their own gain or benefit. I want to be at his left. I want to be at his right. Not realising that leadership actually is to be the lowest. It's to be a slave. And so he writes to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 uh, and says, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Who are we? How should you regard us? Top of the food chain? No, no, servants. <laughs> servants. Servants of Christ and stewards. So don't boast about following a particular human leader, for everything belongs to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Peter. In other words, these leaders, as great as everyone seemed that they were in the Corinthian church, were so low that it's not that the church belonged to them and to boost them up and to make them look good. Actually, they belonged to the church for the art building and their service. Everything belongs to you, Paul, Apollos, and Peter. And then he goes on later in this chapter to talk about, actually, who are we as, as, as apostles? We're the scum of the earth. <laughs> We're reviled. You know, we are, we are literally nothing. Yet in the kingdom, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. It's kind of like from the bottom up, hey? You know, apostles, prophets, and teachers, and so on. So this is, this is the challenge. Of, sorry. Where did I point this thing? Let me go to, there we go. When you think about servant leadership, I guess the thing that I've been learning, the thing that I've been, you know, trying to grasp is, is it servant leader or is it servant leader? You know, is, it, is it servant first and out of that place we lead? Or is it, I'm a leader with a servant heart, you know? I guess that's the challenge. So that's just one thing that I've been learning. To be a servant leader really is first to be a servant. And I would just encourage us all in our prayer times and our Bible reading just to really ask, God, oh, what does that reversal look like for me? What does that look like for me to make myself nothing and empty myself and become a servant? Um, I heard uh, a preacher once say he was driving to, uh, to Sunday to his thing and whatever, he had had a late night and, you know, he had poo on his side and the fire alarm had gone off and he was praying, oh God, help me, help me, help me. And, and, and he sort of got pulled over in the car and God just stopped him and said, what's this all about? Is this, is this for your benefit? Is this about you or, or is it about the people? And so he found himself stopping in the car, praying for the for the people, that somehow what he would have to say would bless them and benefit them. That's the heart of a servant leader. Not that it was about them and himself, but actually about serving others. So whether it's in the kids' work, whether it's in the setup, whether it's you know, being a mother and a father in the church, whatever context it is that we lead, and we all have an opportunity to lead, uh, we do it with a, a pla from a place of servanthood. Okay? Cool? Helpful? Yeah. Amen. All right. So the next thing, that's the first lesson. The next thing that I've learned, that I've been learning, I'm just, uh, this is sort of hot off the press, so to speak, uh, is that sons make the best servants. Sons and daughters, you might add, make the best servants. Verse 45, 
Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. I read this and I ask myself the question, what gave Jesus such security to empty himself and become nothing? What gave him such confidence to be able to do that? I mean, imagine, you know, you, know, you are fully God and fully man. This is what Jesus says, fully God and fully man. Yet when he's on the earth, uh, he, lay, he puts aside his, his godly divine rights and he, just, he walks fully as a man. And he, is, he lives such an ordinary life that people are offended at him when he starts to step out in his ministry. This is just a carpenter's son. You know, his own brothers and sisters you know, are, are like, don't believe him. The ones that knew him so closely, such ordinary life he lived, you know, for the majority of his life, that no one was, you know, really thought, this must be God's son. All right? So that's how ordinary he lived. But then when he stepped out in, in his ministry, people didn't accept him, people didn't understand him. If that was me, I'd be like, hey, don't you know who I am? You know, like, I'm God's son. You know, and I'd be like, hey, you should honor me. You know, I'm God's son. Maybe that highlights my insecurities. But Jesus didn't have that insecurity. He was, he was completely secure uh, to serve. And that came out of his security as a son. He didn't have to prove anything. He didn't have to empty himself. He was completely humble. He had no need to strive for significance because he knew who he was. John 13 gives a really interesting insight uh, into his thought life. If we can just hold it on that slide there. Jesus knew that the Father had given him all things into his hands and that he had come from God and he was going back to God. Let's just unpack that for a minute. He knew that God had given all things into his hands. He had everything. He had all the honour he needed. He had all the love he needed, all the authority he needed. All things means all things. And it was all in his hands. So in other words, there was no situation, no challenge, no obstacle that he could face that could take away the fact God had already given him all things. He, he had all things. He had unlimited resources at his fingertips. All right? So he didn't have to strive to attain everything. He already had everything. He knew that he had come from God. Right? He, knew, he knew where he was from. He knew that God was his father. He knew that he dwelled in glory and everlasting love and embrace. He, he knew that. There's nothing that could change that. No situation, no, no, no trial, nothing could change the fact he knew he was God's son. So he also knew where he was going. He knew that, basically, he knew nothing on earth could change the fact that he had everything at his fingertips. He was from God, he was going to God. Didn't matter what he did, that was his complete security. And what did it enable him to do? If we could go to the next slide, please. It enabled him to rise from supper lay aside his dignity, his outer garments, and begin to fulfill the role of a slave, to wash the disciples' feet. He didn't, like James or John, strive for a position of honour at someone's left or someone's right. No, 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 he, he, he emptied himself. And I find this incredibly challenging and incredibly amazing that my big brother is so confident in who he is as God's son that he is able to empty himself of all dignity, of all honour, because he knows he already has all that anyway. And in that position, he is able to serve, free of all the junk that so often comes out of our hearts, because he is free. He doesn't need to strive. 
He doesn't need to perform. He has all things. He knows where he came from. He knows where he was going. It enabled him to serve. Sons make the best servants. Orphan, orphans, a little quote from Bill Johnson here. Always good to sort of beef up your sermon with a little bit of Bill Johnson in your, in your <laughs> preach. Uh, orphans serve to gain identity. Sons serve from identity. So now, Orphans serve to feel significant. Orphans serve to feel like they're somebody. Orphans serve in order to be somebody. They serve so that people will recognize them, pat them on the back, well done, you know, they need that. But orphans, that, that's the way that orphans operate and think. But sons don't. Sons and daughters don't. They know they are loved. They know that everything's available for them. They feel loved by their father and then off they go. Hebrews chapter 3 says, Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. I find it challenging that you could be a world changer. You could be a world leader. You could be influential in so many ways. You could part the Red Sea. You, know, you could bring God's people into freedom, uh, but yet not have the heart of a son. It's possible. I mean, I... I been reading some books about the Father's heart at the moment, and guys like Derek Prince only found out about being loved by a Heavenly Father in his 80s. You know? It's like, really? Wow. It's possible to be as faithful and as influential as Moses, yet not have the heart of a son. It's possible to look the part. It's possible, gosh, it's possible to preach on a Sunday morning and not have the heart of a son. But unless we truly understand and begin to unpack and experience our security as sons and daughters, things will serve us that don't belong uh, in the church. I have amusing, like don't quote me like theologically on this, but I have amusing Numbers chapter 20, Moses wasn't allowed into the promised land. And I wonder whether it wasn't because he didn't have the heart of a son, but the heart of an orphan. You see, God said to Moses, Look, show how much I love this people. Show them my miraculous provision. All you have to do is speak to that rock and water will gush out and you, people will see how much I love them. In other words, just make yourself low, just serve, just speak and sh show them how much I love them. But Moses couldn't do that. He had to strive and make himself significant. So what he do? He rebukes the Israelites in front of everybody. He strikes the rock twice with God just like, oh. <laughs> and God in his mercy still provided for his people. But the result of that encounter was he, he didn't get his inheritance. He wasn't able to enter into the promised land because he strived for significance and, and to be somebody. In other words, he tried to make himself high. God had to bring him low. Whereas Jesus is the opposite, isn't he? He made himself absolutely nothing and God lifted him high and said, wow, you know, no other name higher than Christ. Just amusing. Don't quote me on it. But <laughs> So sons, sons lead and serve from identity. Orphans serve and lead for identity. I've been learning that it's so important that we need to know who we are. 
I know we've talked, about, we've talked a lot about the Father's heart in the past, and there's different seasons as a church we've, we've visited this, about being understanding our identity. But to be honest with you, I know for a fact it's easy to talk about this and not to, to have it up here, but not to have it here. I mean, we've talked about this for years, and to be honest with you, my journey is I'm only just discovering it in here. All right? I know it up here, but to learn it in here and to God to highlight areas of orphan thinking in your heart is a very different process. And by God's grace, we're on a journey. I'm on a journey, but it's a good one. And I'm just so thankful to a loving father who's like, Matt, just sit on this flight, all right? You know the destination. I'm taking you there. I'll teach you some things along the way, but you're going to land there. And that's, that's where I feel like I'm at at the moment. Knowing the father's heart and our sonship or daughtership is one thing up here. It's another thing to go through that in here. And sometimes God creates situations or environments that brings out this junk. And that's cool too, because it means that he's dealing with us as sons and daughters. Uh, Hebrews says that he disciplines those that he loves. Right? Counter all, all joy when you face hardships because he brings out these things uh, for love. Because he loves us. I've been learning through just playing with my own kids that sonship, or being a son, being a daughter comes before maturity. You know what I mean? And God's grace creates an environment where it's okay for James and John to get it wrong. Because it doesn't matter, they're sons. All right? Now, my daughters are not going to be more loved by me when they are older and more mature in their thinking and have their own families and successful careers. I love them so much now as a one-year-old, as a two-year-old, as a four-year-old than I will when they are, you know, world changers. I love them as much now as I will them, as, as, as I will then. And so we're on a journey in, in maturing as sons and daughters. And, and that's cool, but we are no less loved by the Father through any of that process. And so that's just the encouragement that I wanted to finish on, really, that God's grace, His undeserved favour, His loving fatherly embrace creates an environment where we get it wrong. But it doesn't make you less of a son. It doesn't make you less of a daughter. Actually, when he brings these things up, it only highlights that you are a son, that you are a daughter, and that he loves you unconditionally. All right? If you want to know how much the father loves you, spend some time with some young children, and, and, and you know, whether it's your nephews or your daughters, and, and just play with them and, and, and get a heart for how much you know, love and just the intensity of of, of the protection and the, you know, just, ah, oh, you just want to squeeze them, you know, like, I get home from work and I'm just like, come here, come here, come here, come here, and they're climbing all over me. It's like, that help, it's like the father's embrace. And, and, and my earthly love for my kids is just a little squint compared to the heavenly love that God has for all of us. So sons and daughters make the best servants. But go easy on yourself and go easy on others because they're already a son. <laughs> the least maturest person in Christ is, is no less a son or a daughter than, you know, the Bill Johnsons and the Chris Valentins out there. It's, it, we are loved regardless. So I would encourage you, look, wherever you are on the journey, if this is, if this is, if this is stuff that you've walked through and, and you're strong in, hey, great, lead by serving others and help them through that process. If you're going through a journey, hey, just trust God and enjoy your sonship. If it's new to you and you've never even heard this before, 
we'll start praying and asking God, look, I understand this up here. Do I really understand it here? Lord, would you show me? Would you show me areas of, of orphan thinking in, in my heart? Thanks, Jay. So, service is greatness, and sons make the best servants. Would you stand with me, and we're just going to close now, and uh, we're just going to allow some time just to, just to worship and pray. As a church, we believe in no masks. We believe that we should be authentic with one another. We, should, we feel that we should be honest before ourselves, honest before God. And so it's important to create environments where we can come before God and say, this is where I'm at. We can speak to our brother and sister next to us and say, this is where I'm at. And allow God to take you on the next step. Allow God to embrace you as a son, embrace you as a daughter. Allow God to increase your security as a son, as a daughter, because he has a great task for you. He has a great inheritance for you. But he doesn't want your identity to be caught up in those things. He wants you to serve from a loving place of knowing you're a son and knowing you're a daughter. We have a great inheritance as sons and daughters. We have a great inheritance. We are heirs with Christ. We are, we are heirs of his love and of his glory. He has that all for us. He has great promises for us. Our greatest inheritance is God himself. <laughs> Our greatest inheritance is, is being found in Christ. Everything, everything else flows from that. So I'd encourage you just to, just to open up your hearts before God and say, this is where I'm at. Would you come and speak to me afresh about this, Lord? Would you bring about change in my thinking? Would you take it from my head to my heart? Would you help me to serve securely as your son, as your daughter? And begin to thank him as well. Thank you that no, wherever I'm at, I'm loved by you. Wherever I'm at, I'm your son, I'm your daughter. Paul prays to the Ephesians that they might know, praise to God for the Ephesians, that they might know how wide, how high, how deep is God's love for them. That's his prayer for them. That's the love of a father. So I pray that over all of us, Lord, would you, would you teach us how wide and deep your love is? Yes, Father. Would you help us to drop the masks, Lord? Would you deal with orphan thinking in our hearts? Would you help us to serve not only one another, but this community, this city, as secure sons and daughters? Would you help us to step into our inheritance as sons and daughters, free from any junk that would hold us from the promised land? And thank you, Christ, that you've set the example for us. Mm. Should we play a song and then there'll be some time for prayer at the end if anyone wants to respond to that?